Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. This episode will conclude a two-part series on the multiverse, new age, and ancient aliens, among other issues involving the culture. If you haven't already, please watch part one so that you get caught up with some of the discussion. Also, at the end of this episode, we'll be providing SK's first ever reading list, so please make sure to check out recommendations from Dr. Berg, as well as additional resources to equip you throughout the season. Please check out some of the resources on the website at 4, that is the number 4, campus.org, or consider getting plugged into any of the partnerships that we have. You can find that on the community page of our website. Now, without further delay, let's get to our show. All right, so Dr. Berg, I kind of want to hit on a little bit of the ancient aliens, some of the sci-fi, because I feel like these are becoming so focal in the conversation to where now we're seeing uh, how it's dipping into our government and the mass media. And so uh, before we dive into that, I want to read a few scriptures here. Uh, because this is theological in nature, and we should have a response to this from a Christian worldview and from our beliefs uh, of what the Bible says. So once again, appealing back to Deuteronomy, this is the law, the Torah, right? So this has been around for thousands of years. It has been a known. This is verse 19. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Uh, so we even see God speaking, maybe not as clearly and succinctly about extraterrestrials and unidentified flying objects, which we're going to unpack here a little bit, but he is speaking to spirits, things that emerge in the heavenlies. But what we see is this precedent from God saying, hey, everything you need to know about has been given through divine revelation through select individuals throughout time to preserve the truth. And here's the thing is, if it's God's word, it's going to preserve, it's going to endure. You're never going to be able to root it. You can get rid of all the people. They're going to keep coming back. There's a remnant. Uh, So that's another thing we could talk about in another episode is how God fulfills his word, how he continues to fulfill his word. Uh, And then also Colossians 1.16, for in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So all things, not things that exist in some imaginary multiverse situation or things that we've never been able to interact with that uh, could be out there, uh, such as alien life forms from other planets. We're not going to speculate as to their existence, but if it was important for us to know about these things, we would know about them. But what the Bible does speak clearly about is that there are heavenly realms, there are spirits, there are angels and demons, there are ways that these things have interacted with man throughout time that the Bible talks about, and that from this modern kind of science fiction lens, we ascribe these to some kind of divine creative force that exists out there. When the Bible says the answer is that these are demonic or these are angelic and you're treating them as that they're God instead of testing them. So maybe we'll unpack that a little bit more. So real quick, what is your initial response? And then I'm going to dig a little bit into some of the more modern things, like some of these UAP sightings, the government disclosure and the worldview behind that. Why now in this period of time, why are these things growing and ramping up more and more? Uh, what is your response on that? Sure. And there, there's a lot of things actually to say on this. Oh yeah. Um, and, and my comment is, well, there are aliens. And you said this as well. There are aliens, angels and demons. They're not, mm. things, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of funny in that way. It's like, well, no, no, no. There are absolutely things that are foreign, if, if you will, to our physical, material, spatial, you know, kind of place. Um, they're angels and demons. 
they're there R- real quick that that i just that response i feel like maybe received like that's what christians and religious people think i actually believe they're no, aliens. I, I know and here's my question is there are independent studies done for people that have had encounters with these aliens okay. and have rebuked them or have spoken the name of jesus and in almost every case they left and so there's an authority that we have with jesus but yeah go ahead and unpack that some more please um so the issue here is this is when we go back and we we, we have this statement like you said scripture tells us not to look at the stars and, and, and worship them and it's very clear um that from the very beginning uh, the demonic realm christian worldview now we're speaking from um essentially people associated things that were demons fallen angels with celestial bodies hmm. there's no question this is what was going on this was something that was either going to happen or was already happening. I mean, by the time of Deuteronomy, it was already happening, and God was simply mm-hmm. telling me, don't do this. Now, there's an interesting application, though, that I'd like to give off this verse. And I think this is this is what people need to hear today, is why were people going to worship the stars in the heavens? Well, understand that there was astrology was a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Astrology, the ability to manipulate the stars, the ability to contact, quote, the spiritual realm through the stars or things mm-hmm. through the gods. That essentially is why that injunction was given in that setting. Here's my comment, though. We can do that with anything that is grand or to be revered. And this is the issue. What is our new celestial objects? Nature itself being able to produce humanity, right? Mm. Evolution. Okay. This is the idea that we looked at DNA and, oh my goodness, look at evolution. So you worship it, right? You know, I think that verse is very useful, even in applying it to things like DNA and Mm. evolution and, Mm. and nature itself and all that kind of stuff. It's, we just tend to want to ascribe a higher level of meaning to anything that we deem greater than ourselves Mm. and this really is the core of it jason because god is the only thing that we should ascribe meaning and purpose to that is higher than ourselves yeah and the problem is when we have a priori rule about god we as human beings cannot really live without purpose and meaning we can't do it so we will go anywhere else to ascribe meaning and purpose that we can then derivatively get it from but it's always a lesser form now, getting back to the aliens thing, it's fascinating because you hear about this stuff in Old Testament where it talks about the sons of man and the, the sons of God and the daughters of men and all that kind of stuff and the Nephilim and things like that. I don't give a whole lot of credence to those things, but I'll say this in terms of like people's theories on it, you know, that's, mm-hmm. what, but I will say this, having done a lot more research into ancient mythology, into the worldview of, of the Bible, into a lot of these things, I think that a lot of these people in, in these mythical stories, Iliad, Odyssey, things like that, have historical counterparts. And I think we're coming to start to realize this, like even Gilgamesh, pretty sure there's a historical counterpart. Now, the story is just fantastical, right? And it even seems as though there were these kind of people who were just sort of giants among men, forgive the better Mm -hmm. better language. And there's some fascinating reasons to even think this. I mean, everything from the biblical ages pre-flood, find the Sumerian kings list, having extra long lifespans as well pre-flood. I mean, there's some interesting things. And what it seems like is that some of these mythologies, that ancient mythologies, Mm-hmm. were derived from some of this and then obviously embellished and, and yeah that doesn't mean that some of these like wazoo documentaries on giant bones skeleton bones and stuff that they found like that that's kind of maybe more of a stretch yeah here's what we're coming to agreement with there is an historical record that attests to some type of spirit to man encounter like people have interacting with these types of entities yeah. or they had been inserted into right. our the fabric of our reality. And so I think that to say, well, these are just concepts that didn't exist prior to like maybe the past few centuries. No, these have been around for a long time and we should take them seriously. We shouldn't be ignoring them and pushing them into the realm of science fiction. Yeah. And the reason for this, Jason, I think is Paul makes the comment in one of his letters, 
the Apostle Paul from the, Apostle the Paul New Testament. Yeah. makes a comment that essentially the Greek pantheon's demons, right? Mm. That's essentially it. That, that the, the pantheon of gods is fundamentally demons. And the continuity of the pantheon, by the way, is very set. Um, when you look at the pantheon between Egypt and Rome, it's the same set of gods, essentially. Different, yeah. still different stories, different things, but there's a, there's a commonality to it as well. And then you can arguably trace that back to Babylon. And that's where you get the fascinating, yeah. the Babylonian cult. Now, why do I mention this? Well, I do not think that we are in a naturalistic world. I think we are in a natural and supernatural world. Mm. And to simply relegate all of ancient mythology, religion to the realm of pure fiction, I think is the wrong way to look at it. Um, because clearly the Bible talks about demonic forces with real power. Now, the power pales in comparison to Jesus, but they do have mm. the ability to do some serious junk. If you study demonology, which I got to do angelology and demonology at my master's degree, typically, by the way, most people don't realize this, but most seminaries, you have to study demonology and angelology. That's actually common. Most pastors have had coursework on this in some way. And what you come to realize is demons can actually do stuff, essentially. And it begins to make sense of a lot of what we see. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. What about the alien issue? Well, in the modern era, we don't have pantheon of gods, unless you go into Hinduism or other things. Most people in the West, Western worldview, they're post-Christian, right? They're post-personal uh, gods. We'll say it like this, mm. post-personal gods. A lot of people believe in God as a substance. It's a depersonalized thing. But uh, you're not really seeing the pantheon of gods. So what do you have to replace it then with being able to interact with these demons? Well, it's real simple. The demonic forces understand. Well, if we can't be gods, we can be what? Aliens. That's the issue. Yeah. I think you're seeing the culture play into this, whether, you know, you're thinking like Marvel's Eternals, you, know, you can essentially ascend and yes. interact with these and become like a God. And look, Hey, I, you know, I want to camp on this for a little bit longer, but essentially it's the futility of idols. You know, we're worshiping these things in the world, things that we can observe and see, but they can't tell us the ultimate reality and meaning of our lives. They can't tell us the past and why it happened. And honestly, they don't have perfect knowledge. Yeah. And so we appeal to Christ. We appeal to Jesus based on what was spoken of him from the beginning, that he was part of God's triune nature and everything he had accomplished throughout his life was in perfect fulfillment of what was spoken before, during, and after he prophesied about things that were going to happen in his time and following his life that have come to pass. Um, I think one of the disconnects we have is that, you know, we're talking about these things in the supernatural, but then why should the average person, the student look at the person and figure of Jesus and the testimony of Christ, and even just really God's revelation mm -hmm. and, and somehow look at that as an authoritative source. Sure. You know, as we unpack that, look, if you're a young person and you're hearing and seeing these things in the culture and you're seeing them in science fiction and you're like, Hey, look, you know, this is just for fun. It's fantasy. I don't really believe in it. I mean, there might be some truth to it, but I'm not really going to like, you know, worship these things. Here's the thing is if you don't take these things seriously, I'll tell you who does the United States government takes this very seriously. There is billions of dollars invested in programs uh, to further space exploration, to further some of the research being done on extraterrestrial vehicles. The mass media takes this seriously. Hollywood, who has billions of dollars wrapped up in this, Disney, who has billions of dollars wrapped in this, takes this seriously. Yeah. And so if we're looking at a reason to trust in the authority of Jesus Christ, it's because the other worldviews surrounding ancient alien theory, whether it's coming from History Channel, whether it's coming from some of these academics, and that's another thing I'd love for you to talk about this, is that the guys that are perpetuating 
these narratives, the Stephen Greer's, the guys from the ancient alien specials and uh, some of these scholars and, and laureates that are going around and perpetuating this, do they have the credentials and the deep theological or historical work to substantiate, especially when they're introducing scripture to back some of these claims? Because I think that's the danger is that they're taking biblical truth and they're fitting it in with their worldview. And here's one of the dangers. If you're a student, you're going to like outside sources from the Bible, like you're going into YouTube. Look, I've gotten sucked in some of these things, the secret society cult stuff, the flatter stuff, the QAnon stuff. There is a deception because they're borrowing pieces of scripture to substantiate their truth claims, but they're not providing you the sources and the information from an academic background. You went do a college paper and get a pass on it if you didn't cite your sources. And so as a professor, as an academic, how do you substantiate some of these claims and basically break down where some of the disconnects are? So the first thing I want to do is explain what, what, does, a, what does an academic degree give you? Mm. Uh, a BA gives you general survey level knowledge of the topic at hand. Mm. An MA gives you specialized knowledge of the topic at hand. A PhD, if it's a good school, gives you the ability to assess academic literature. It gives you a wide and deep breadth of reading on multiple views within the topics you're doing. Mm. And it also, it gives you enough methodology to construct theories properly. Mm. What it doesn't do is give you the right to be correct. Mm. There is no such thing as the right to be correct. It makes you a master painter, mm. but it doesn't tell you or force you to paint a sci-fi or a real painting. And PhDs can still paint sci-fi paintings and call them real, just like anybody else. And this is the issue. Truth is not found in the degree. Truth is what it is. The bottom line is whether I have a PhD or not, even before I had a PhD, I still had the truth. I can better argue for it. I can better articulate it. I have a better way of, of really hashing out the finer points now, but I still had the truth before I got a degree. And this is the fundamental issue. Truth is not in academics. Truth is in reality and divine revelation. And this is the key of why is it authoritative? Because divine revelation is part of that reality. Hmm. You can't ignore the fact that divine revelation exists. Right. It, so the Bible, the revelation given through Old and New Testament writers, prophets and messengers who had a connection with God direct to their hearts through messengers, angelic messengers that had to be tested by the way. So if you spoke a prophecy back then and it didn't come to pass, you could be stoned to death. It was very important because it had the capability of leading people, nations uh, on a certain path. And here's the thing is look at the fruit, people, nations that have worshiped other gods, demons, and idols of various kinds, the fruit of their actions would result in mass amount of lives lost, yeah. the sacrificing of innocent children, which we're seeing in our land today. Just the revelry, some of the issues we're experiencing in our culture, whether it's homosexuality, the types of practices, cult practices that we're seeing in the land. So we're not saying it's wrong because we think so. We're appealing to a standard of truth that is rooted in the image of our creator. And so it's not to say, well, how do I know something's wrong? You know, how do I know that this person and this person based on their actions in a land that seems to allow for said actions to continue without there being a consequence, I'm not making that judgment. I'm appealing to a standard of truth in the image and reality of that truth is that, look, man, woman, create children. It's observable in nature. If that's not enough, go down to the science 
XY chromosome, XX chromosome. And so it makes sense at a molecular chromosomal level reality. Let's let me, this is where your question earlier on yeah. trust the Bible comes into play. If uh, somebody asks me a, a question like this, uh, how do you know gravity exists? I'll simply go out, drop a ball on the ground and say, look, ball fell to the ground, gravity. I don't need to explain it through massively scientific explanations. That's not required. And, and just because someone can describe something better, that's not a claim to truth. Okay. And that's the other fallacy is that just because I can describe something in more detail means that it's true, not the case. Okay. Mm. But there are simple things I can do to put it. Let me throw you this. Somebody asked me is three plus three six. And I say, well, reason I can go through. Now I don't need to do a mathematical proof because you can do weird mathematical proofs on a lot of junk. I don't need to do a crazy mathematical proof. I can simply do, use it, use reason. Now let's go to divine revelation. How do I know the Bible's true? How do I know the Bible is authoritative? How do I know it's, it's from God? There are two traditional ways Christians have answered this question. One is an internal claim, maybe three, an internal claim. The Bible claims it's divine revelation, therefore it is. And people's comment is, well, don't all books claim to be divine revelation? Actually, they don't. <laughs> that's the first interesting piece that they don't all claim that. So that, that's an interesting thing. Okay. But let's now go to the other claim. People back in the day, New Testament documents, etc., they had determined, well, which of these books are supposed to be authentic scripture, historical in the Hebrew scriptures, which prophets are real. These are legitimate questions. And let me go ahead and walk you through why it is we can trust the Bible. First, within the historical Jewish context, you're absolutely right. There were requirements for being a prophet. Now, unless you're going to say that we're just going to throw all that to the wind and just say, well, we don't care about anything. We have to recognize and accept this is how it was done. This is what it was. This was kept, maintained, and solidified by the Hebrew people. We recognize that they had these types of standards, and thus, we're going to take them at their word. This was the standard. Hmm. Then we go to the New Testament, and we say, well, what's going on here? And now they make a slightly different appeal. They appeal to apostolic authority apostolic witness. In other words, were they eyewitnesses of the resurrection? Were they linked to the apostles? Were they linked to the teaching? The answer to all those questions are yes, mm. for the most part. So now we take the whole book as a whole. Is it the word of God? You taste and see that the Lord is good. When you read this, and not through a falsely critical mindset, everybody can say, oh, well, God killed people in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, he did order people killed, but have you looked at the reason for it? Well, there's no justification. There's no justification for war. Mm. My point is you can slice it and say, I don't like it. But when you actually take it as a total, here's the conclusion you come to. Anyone who actually gives it a real chance and doesn't judge it based on their own relativistic morals. Right. Like you're actually reading the Bible and studying it for yourself. It's not being filtered through the lens of your parents, authorities, all that you. And you're not prejudging things, right? For example, the genocide, you know, well, first of all, it's not genocide. That's the first issue. That's something I've researched extensively. And that, that's, yeah. But here's the issue. By the end of the book, you know what you think to yourself? There's no way a human wrote this. Mm. This, when you read the Bible cover to cover, at the end of this, you would say, no matter which period you're in, that's justice. You would say, in, in many cases, if you were living in that society, that's the society you would want to live in. These are the teachings you'd want to live by, given their cultural understanding. Like if you were to teleport yourself back to the Hebrews, you'd absolutely want those uh, slavery laws they have in place, right? Mm. World's got slavery, but you know what the Hebrews have? If you harm your servant, restitution, and you set them free. Yeah, it's in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. I was just reading that. Yeah. In other words, mm -hmm. like given the world culture they're in, 
Yeah. That's where you'd want to live. Does that, does that make yeah. sense? That's yeah. There's, I think the issue is that we look at how ancient people lived and say, well, that's primitive. But what we don't see is that relative to other nations. And by the way, oh. there were other nations that had advanced knowledge of things. You had the Babylonians, the Egyptians, you had different cultures within those time periods, Assyrians. And, and what's interesting is that the difference, the separator between the people, the Hebrews, the, the ethno-religious tribe of people is that they believed in one God yeah. and that God was an authoritative God and that God desired a personal relationship with his people yeah. that was redemptive in nature. And I think this is the key is that same God is also found in the person of Jesus oh. who wants to have that relationship with you. And no other religion even comes close to offering that. Right. Or here's the thing is now you can't be your own God because you don't have perfect knowledge. Yeah. You don't know the fundamental questions of life to a sufficiency worthy of all truth and all praise and all worship. And you haven't demonstrated life over death. You haven't demonstrated that you have mastery over the elements of the world. You haven't demonstrated that you have authority. Like my word does not have the authority to produce life, to change a human heart. It, it might be able to comfort someone, but I can't actually fundamentally change the reality of my existence and yours. Well, and this is just it, Jason. When you read scripture, you know what you find? Mm. You find a perfect depiction of reality. Mm. That's what you find. You find a book of books, if you will. The library. And not only that, it gives us the vision of what reality will be given God's redemption. So not only this, remember, the, the world says, I don't like this reality, I'm going to make my own. The Bible says, you jacked this reality up with your sin, and I'm going to show you what a perfect reality looks like. And then for those who want it, I'm going to take you there. And just to, here's how it ties back in the conversation is that what we're doing is we're rejecting that truth and that premise. And now we're trying to search for it in some type of extraterrestrial life, or we're going to get there. We're going to go to Mars and start over this utopian model without the historical laws, the framework at which we approached issues in civilization. We're going to do it all over again. And we're going to ascend and make ourselves gods. We're going to rewrite the books. And you know, what's interesting is you don't have to go to space and look to space to realize it's not going to work. If you can't even get it to work on earth, every time someone starts a, a new religion where they make themselves a God, you see where it leads to polygamy. It leads to suicide, breakdown um, of civilization, break of civilization. You, or just look in the past century, dictators, totalitarian leaders step up, leading their people into this worldview of, well, you as a special race can ascend like the gods. It's the same tactic of demons of the antichrist system, basically saying, hey, you can do life apart from Jesus. You don't need one God, a creator God, who has demonstrated sufficiently throughout all of time, his plans, purpose, and intention for you. You can figure that on your own. And I think this really ties in full circle with when you look at the new age, when you look at alien theory, multiverse theory, you look at all these different philosophical, ideological, and even spiritual aspects, these worldviews, none of them ultimately will be able to tell you the reality and purpose and meaning of life. Right. The issue again here is we have aliens are essentially the new type of God worship. And you're finding this in the realm of the New Age movement, because the New Age movement, which has links, strong links to Hinduism, provides you a way to engage in the spiritual realm. Um, however, what people have done, and this is Van Cars and Peck, if you read their book mm. on, on the New Age, which is a lot of fun, they talk about how they met spirits in some of their New Age travels, and they claim to be aliens and all sorts of stuff. Um, but what they eventually came to realize is they were demons. Yes. So what is aliens? Aliens are simply the new way demons have chosen to manifest themselves to a people that don't believe in ancient gods. And mm. so it's the same ploys. 
come to us, give to us, sacrifice to us, and we'll make your reality come true. That is the interaction of the ancient people with the gods. Mm -hmm. Give them a sacrifice, and then they will bless you with good prosperity or fertility or good land harvest or whatever it is. It's the same type of thing. And New Age is the vehicle because, again, we've, we've propagated this idea that you make your own reality. That's the idea. That's yeah. the sick idea is that you can make your own reality. And here's the, the scary thing. What does it take for you to make your own reality? You have to destroy and carve up and harm and brutalize and cause real pain in order to, quote, manifest really shade of your, quote, new reality. And that's what eventually happens. And that's the problem with all of this stuff is that the only true way to actually get to utopia is not through an individualistic thing because there will always be conflict. No one will ever agree. And we're sinful at heart. The only way is to be united in Christ. Mm. That's the only form of unity that will work. People cry, where's political unity? Let me tell you where political unity is. Nowhere. You have political mm. unity when you had Christian unity. When you had people united under Christ, even if they're in different denominations or whatever, they were still somewhat united under Christ. Now, politics, unfortunately, has become religious mm. because it's politics has adopted a worldview. And once it did that, it became religious. And this right. is why you're seeing these divides happening now. Uh, and why, as people I've talked to, myself included, you can't have conversations with people anymore because what you're arguing is not just against a given political platform or plank or ideal. You're arguing against their entire way of understanding the universe when you when worldview. you argue yeah. you're worldly. Mm. And again, their worldview is not based on argument. Non-Christian worldviews have argumentation for them. Sure, fine, whatever. For example, when I bring up this issue of morality to someone and I say, explain how your worldview explains intrinsic moral value of human, human nature. Like the dignity of a human life. Yeah, yeah, I get that. How does it explain it? Guess what? They can't do it. It doesn't yeah. explain it. They have to borrow or appeal from another source, whether it's a biblical in nature, whether it's philosophical in nature, mm -hmm. like the Bible, yeah. like God's word, like the golden rule, like the 10 commandments. And guys, look, by the way, if you have been involved in the new age, if you have literally been practicing, if you've gone and done a tarot reading, if you have been engaging with anything we've mentioned, I want you to know this. And this is not just from a helpful Christian telling you what not to do. It is from a standard of truth that has endured for thousands of years that still speaks to the heart condition of a human man. When God says in Deuteronomy 18, 10, those who practice divination and sorcery, that they are actually consulting with the dead demons. And this is detestable, the Lord. Yep. Look, sorcery, pharmakia. If you're taking DMT, if you're doing drugs and trying to contact the dead, we mentioned Stephen Van Carms, we mentioned other people that have been involved in this, and they can tell you these are demons. People that have had alien abductions, encounters with them, they have the hypnosis and all these things that are out there have not freed these people from these except the name of Jesus. There's no under name at which you must be saved. Use your reason, examine all the religions and worldviews next to each other, see how the Bible adequately explains the reality that we're in, including the basic principles and order and foundational moral theological structures so that you can basically handle 
handle the majority of problems that you can in life with sufficiency, which means you're not walking around wondering what your purpose is, which explains why we have so many people, especially young people doing drugs, committing suicide, engaging in unhealthy behaviors that are going to have impacts to them and their family. If you knew that you had purpose and identity and a reason for existing to worship God, to live like Christ and to be light to the world and to love people, including people that don't like you. (laughs) If we recognize this, then we know that we have a purpose that exceeds any science fiction narrative, anything the culture tells us that we are. Well, and Jason, on that note, I mean, the bottom line is this, if you don't have a God-given purpose and you're secular, you could artificially say your purpose is to make a utopia. But when life gets hard, good luck maintaining that. That's the problem with humanism. Humanism fails when times get tough. By the way, every utopian model of self-governance is usually led there by force yeah. and by violence. It has to be. You have to rid out all the people to make that utopia. And, yeah. and look at what's happening in our country right now. That, mm. that is what is happening. The second what thing you can go is you can go hedonism. Live for the physical pleasure. Mm. But if when that fails because your body wears out, quite literally, uh, then there is nothing left and there's your suicide. Mm. So the point is, is, is no matter which way you choose, it does degenerate into suicidal behavior. It's, it's going to do that. I mean, that, that's just the yeah. nature of loss of ultimate meaning. Or you'll be trapped in your own ignorance. Well, let's say you're in between both those extremes, because I think those are maybe different sides of a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have this utopian ideal of how the world ought to be. You're looking to the stars. You're hoping that one day something will come along and tell you your ultimate meaning and purpose. It's not enough that there already was from the very beginning of time of reality and truth that still transcends every generation and culture, no matter how advanced or how primitive they are. I would argue that the more intellectual we get, the more that we try to ascend, the further away we're getting from the basic truth that's always existed and that was always sufficient. You're not going to see the full reality by looking at nature, but I have sufficiency by observing what's around me and understanding that it was created yeah. because I haven't seen any other entity or any other person in the world that can recreate a planet. If you just let that blow your mind. Multiverse theory is not going to do it. Yeah, those those things are fiction, and people get on evolution. Mm. Here, here's the real, and I, I will say this on evolution: people love to jump on evolution. And mm. here's here's the funny thing: that the top evolutionists in the world all denied the standard theory of evolution, Darwinian evolutionary theory. Yeah, in 2016, and they all said yeah. it doesn't work for the exact same reasons that intelligent designers have been saying it doesn't work. They all admitted it, and they said we need to come up with a new extended synthesis theory. I think most people aren't utopians. Most people aren't suicidal. I think most people are in the middle. Yeah. In the middle is hedonism. Essentially, waiting until something better comes along. And while you're waiting for whatever that better is, you're just living for pleasure. And just to dovetail on that, I think even some of those leading atheists and skeptics are already starting to delve more mm-hmm. into like the, I think it's called panspermia, where alien life may have possibly planned this here from another. It's like you're getting there because you're realizing there's a breakdown in evolutionary breakdown. theory and naturalism, materialism. Yeah, there is. There's a breakdown. All right, Dr. Burt, if you're going to sum up the whole conversation, what would be your final points? What do you say to the students or the minister, the local church, how quick parents, you know, like maybe you can sum it all up. We won't be able to hit on everything, but what do you want to say to people? Uh, the first thing is this. If you're on a quest for truth, do not be satisfied with a consistent picture that does not depict reality. Mm. That's number one. Then you're not done with your quest for truth. You barely even begun. Either there are supernatural spiritual forces at work for good and evil, or there are not. I could probably teach an entire PhD level course on the reasons why naturalism as a fundamental worldview does not depict reality. We're just going to simply say for the sake of conversation, there's supernatural reality. If that is the case, and there are good and evil supernatural forces, I would argue God and demons, whatever you want to call it, even you don't even have to believe in that yet to get where I'm going with this. 
Who are your sources? Where are you checking? Checking to make sure that this isn't just a pretty picture. This is actually depicting reality. Like you've actually got to do the work, not just saying I've read something. You've got to do the work on all sides and figure this thing out. Look, one can look at the resurrection. I believe that's enough and say, look, based on evidence for the resurrection, the rest of scripture's gotta be true. You can take that road. You can take the road, and I was kind of getting this a little bit earlier, uh, on faith. The spirit has convicted me this is true. You can say that and you can take it. Yeah. And I think that's the bottom line. The bottom line is if you actually want a civilization that works, for example, ancient civilizations denied scripture and stuff, but they did have in some sense, baseline biblical understandings of certain things, even if they didn't acknowledge it. And that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You try to get too far away from that natural order, you have serious problems for society. I think, and I think we covered that a lot in previous episodes. When we're talking about sin and we're talking about morality, yeah, in summary, we talked about the multiverse, different worldviews of reality, the new age, some of its truth claims and some of its practices, why the biblical writers, why the revelation of God given to us to say, hey, this is wrong and why it's wrong. So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about aliens. We talked about issues in the culture. We talked about how there are organizations, mass media and cultural implications to this because it is either used as a way to control narratives or it has become a truth claim that has carried with it certain presuppositions and arguments that seem to make sense when you reject a biblical premise. If Jesus is a real historical person, we have an understanding that there is an ultimate truth and reality in this person, that what he had demonstrated, how he had lived, fits a worldview in which adequately addresses every major category of how we're supposed to live and think and operate. Then to me, it makes sense why there's so much opposition to that. It's not about where you're going and really not about just what you're giving up. It's about the ultimate source and object of your worship. God wants your heart. He's more interested in your heart than what you can give for him or give to him. That's ultimately why we're here. And that I think is the point of today's message and just really the podcast and the ministry of reaching young people for the gospel. Any closing thoughts you have on that last minute advice? You know, again, to, to people who are listening, um, who may not be Christians, um, there's often this question or, or society has made Christianity out to be evil. And, and I've come to realize this more and more, how society was portraying Christianity at this point, literally people hate speech and every other virtually every other group is being portrayed as generally good with a few bad seeds hmm. now here's my comment to, to the non-christians listening if that's your view that christianity is fundamentally evil wrong on almost every last topic and that everybody else has it right then i would like to ask you to seriously examine the fruit of that statement Christianity has generally led to the reduction of slavery. Christianity has, has led to the equalization of people under God. The other philosophies, if you're being honest, the other religions have imprisoned, they've killed, they've done another religion itself. Yeah. I'm not saying Christians haven't done bad things, but I'm saying is the religion itself. But maybe just to care for, so you're saying it doesn't mean that they're going to get it perfect because we're valuable and we're fallen. And of course, the idea that we can all be moral, execute justice in our own right stems back to the fall. It goes back to this idea, this distorted idea that we can be 
moral and just like God, knowing good from evil. And I think this is ultimately part of that deception and maybe why the new age, why all these different beliefs and theories about life and reality and what our purpose is here. To me, it doesn't make sense why I'm going to put my faith in an extraterrestrial. Everybody that interacts with these things that is reported, you never see something fruitful come out of their life. I even talked to the young woman that was practicing tarot readings and a self-admitted witch who was a teenager. And this woman had some insight. She had some boldness to her. She even recognized, and she admitted this, this is so key. She said that the first time she had an encounter with one of these entities, she was scared. It was confusing to her. And it was something that was foreign that was not welcoming. Now, what you see in the Bible is people scared out of fear and reverence because they're entering into the presence of a holy being, but look at the fruit from their lives. If you're a student, find people to surround yourself with. Look, go to the community page of the website. You're going to see ministries, Spirit of Truth, Dr. Berg's ministry is a partner of Four Campus. If you want to go ahead and plug that ministry last minute, and then we're going to talk about SK's first summer reading list. We're going to have some recommends on there for you too. Short reads, maybe some long reads if you're hardcore, and then we'll go ahead and close out. So we are a church. We do on YouTube provide free sermons for anybody who wants to listen. Uh, We also do apologetics and theology discussions every other week uh, with live streams where you can come and talk to me in person if you want. Um, We do it on YouTube, then we go to Zoom, and then we also go to schools wherever we can. Uh, People invite us in to come and speak to students and and dialogue and engage with students. So those are the types of things we do. Um, And I guess we can do books now if you want, Jason. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, as a friend of the ministry, anybody that wants to make a donation to Four Campus, we're going to go ahead and give 100% of that to Spirit of Truth this month. Can you go and tell us your website, how people can get a hold of you as well? Things, SOT.church. Okay. And then our our YouTube channel, Spirit of Truth Outreach. Wonderful. Uh, Okay. So how about a few book recommends? And then I'll, I'll, I'll name a few and then we'll go ahead and close out. Sure. So it's Jerry F. Lewis and Luke A. Barnes, A Fortunate Universe, Life in a Finely Tuned Cosmos. And this is essentially the Christian apologetic against multiverse theory. Uh, Another book I highly recommend, if you're interested in people who are in the New Age who have come out of it, is The Second Coming of the New Age by Stephen Bancars and Josh Peck. Yes. And they kind of walk through some of some of those. He things. was one of the leading New Agers on YouTube. He had over a million followers, I believe. And he had multiple encounters with extraterrestrials or demons mm-hmm. uh, taking, I believe, uh, what do they call it when you're not a soul trip? It's a- His astral projection. In various New Age practices, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He started to pursue that. And since then, he is now leading a ministry to help people get out of these. I'll drop some links to some interviews he's done. But definitely, if you guys are involved or dabbling in any of this stuff, we love you. We want you to get free from this. We want you to have a relationship with God. And I'm telling you, look at the fruit. Mm-hmm. Examine the fruit of people that have been long-term with this stuff. If you're struggling, you can't find that. Reach out to Dr. Chris Direct or through the ministry. We'll get you those resources and people who have even actually made it from one side to the other. All right. Any other additional recommends? For the morality issue, the morals of the story by Baggett. I would say that's another really good one mm-hmm. for the moral issues. And can you go ahead and mention your book as well in terms of the new age? And- My book is uh, The New Age Trojan Horse, What Christians Should Know About Yoga the Enneagram. And it provides an overview of evangelical Christian theology. So you can learn what Christians believe. It provides an overview of new age theology. And then it also provides a bit of a history on the new age movement, as well as a analysis of both Christian yoga and Christian Enneagram. So Very cool. uh, you get all of that in there as well. 
Just a note, I haven't reached out to Jeremy Irons yet for the audiobook cover. I'm working on it. He's very busy. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get someone else lined up for the audiobook. We're, we're trying our best here. Yeah, uh, make sure to drop a donation for Dr. Chris. Go to forcampus.org slash give for that. All right, great. Um, I have a few recommends as well. Maybe not as academic as some of the resources that Dr. Chris provide, uh, but by all means, for the men, look up the title Courage, Winning Life's Toughest Battles by Ed Cole. Uh, both men and women, you can look up Surviving Religion 101 by Michael Kruger. Actually, he had been a student of Bart Ehrman at UNC Chapel Hill. He wrote this book for his daughter. It's got a lot of apologetics, a lot of defenses that we can have against arguments. And this is from professors. So by the way, just because your professor has a PhD does not mean they have a mastery of particular areas involving philosophy and metaphysical questions. They may not be a subject matter expert on anything from ancient Semitic civilizations to theology of various vantage points, philosophy of various vantage points. Make sure you're checking your sources. Don't just believe what your professors or administrators tell you. Examine that and feel free to question that. Make argumentation in your papers defending certain vantage points, whether it's intelligent design, whether it's issues from biology or even history, make the defense. Last thing I'll read, Timeless, Never Goes Out of Style, uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It speaks to the heart. I'm telling you, those guys just really knew what they were talking about back then. So feel free to check out that resource as well. All right. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Berg for showing up. Again, just an incredible opportunity. Look, we talked about Dr. Strange, the Marvel Universe. I brought you Dr. Berg, real PhD doctorate level professor who can actually break down a lot of that. Make sure to tune in next month. I have an incredible speaker lined up. She is a doctorate level professor as well, who's going to unpack a little bit about the culture, Gen Z, and some other things there. So uh, you won't want to miss that. See you guys on the campus. we got another outreach day later in the summer or early fall. Great. Uh, so until next time, guys, thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Berg, wonderful having you on there. Yeah, thanks. Always good to see you. Thank you for listening to another engaging episode of Solomon's Knot, a production of 4Campus.org and its associated partners. If you haven't already, please make sure to drop a five-star review whether on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as well as including sharing this with like-minded peers in your sphere of influence. We appreciate your faithful viewership and look forward to continued engagement with young people on the campus and those in the surrounding area. Until next time, this is Jason. Peace.